You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Something that I don't know if I've ever done this ever before, but I'm going to preach this morning and I'm going to use the same text that I used last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> Why am I doing that? Well, thanks for asking. Let me try to answer your question. Uh, a couple things. One is, I went home after church last Sunday, and I was just thinking about the, the text that we had looked at, thinking about what I said, and, I, and that there's just so much that I missed. And so I'm going to try to, to fill that back up again and fill that hole. The second reason I'm doing it is because the things that we're talking about in this text, quite frankly, that's where I'm living. And I think if we're honest, all of us are living there. We're, the work that God does in us by His Spirit, that Christ has come to do, is not a one-time fix-it. In fact, I don't even think God is trying to fix us. I think He's trying to change us. And, and that is a journey and part of the journey is what this prayer that we looked at last week is talking about. When I was in college, during the summers, I, I worked at a construction job. A, a contractor was kind enough to hire me. I say kind enough because I had never done this before. I didn't know what I was doing. I think he looked at me and thought, this guy can carry a lot of stuff and, and can help, so we'll take him. So we did roofing and siding and home stuff. and. And I learned a lot. Second summer, <coughs> got there one morning at the job, and we're in this really nice neighborhood, and there's two houses next to each other, and our job was to put a deck, the exact same deck, on both of them. So I'd never done that before. I didn't know, so the boss gets there, and he hands me a shovel, and he says, the first thing we've got to do is dig footers. What is that? Well, that is a hole. And then he gets out his tape measure, and he says... Essentially what you want to do is you take that shovel and you dig a hole and it has to be like like two and a half, three feet deep. So like that. That's not too complicated. Uh, why has it got to be so deep? Well, this is not just a regular deck. This is actually going to be up off the second level and the weight and all this stuff and he explains it to me. So I take the shovel and he leaves and I start digging. What he forgot to mention is that the soil there had like huge rocks in it. So I'm digging it. And you can't like dig a huge hole. It had the dimensions and you gotta go. So I got down about two feet and I thought to myself, self, that's looking actually pretty good. So I went to the next one. And, and then the boss came back and he got out his tape measure and he put it in the hole. And, no, it has to be that depth. Okay. So I mean, it took a couple of days because there's two of these things to do it. I was wondering, why is he in such a hurry? Well, got the holes dug, poured the cement in, and then we started building the decks. The next day I found out why he was in such a hurry, because the building inspector showed up, and he had forgotten to get a permit. Apparently that's a problem. So, the good news is he hadn't done anything wrong. He did everything according to spec. The bad news is, the inspector has to know that. 
And so you have to make sure that those things actually go down two and a half feet. So I got the shovel back and I had to dig next to each one of those things two and a half feet down to show that they were actually two and a half feet deep. We actually did a really good job. In fact, if you went there today, those decks would probably still be standing. <laughs> Here's the weird thing. It actually took way longer to do the foundation than it did to build the deck. You can't even see it. I'm going to tell you, it looks really beautiful. I mean, it's really nicely done, but you can't see it. But if it wasn't there, you would know. So what does that have to do with this prayer? Well, actually, what, what Paul is praying for in, in Ephesians 3 is about the foundation of your soul. In the same way that a building needs a foundation, your life needs one. And what you believe about God and what you believe about yourself is the foundation of your life. It's your identity. And if you get the foundation wrong, it actually skews everything. A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about every one of us is what we think about when we think about God and what we perceive about ourselves. So, the message of this letter that Paul wrote, the, the letter to the Ephesians, over and again, about 30 times, he uses this phrase, Christ in us. What he's talking about is our identity. This is who we are. It's a reality. It's our identity. It's, and in this prayer, he says this, that Christ, by his Spirit, may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That truth, God dwelling in us, is actually not an idea. It's a reality. And Paul is crying out to God, asking him to enable them to live as though that's actually true. So in the prayer that he prays, if you read through the whole prayer, it's interesting that a number of times he uses a metaphor in there of measuring, measurements. Listen to this. In verse 18, he says, I pray that you grasp how, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God in Christ. In verse 19, he says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you, in verse 19 again, he says, may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then he closes the prayer in verse 20 with these words. To him who is able to do what? Immeasurably. You can't measure this. Why does he keep using this image? Preach it, brother. Stay with me. Here's why, I think. Because we measure our identity and our soul using all the wrong measures. And that's what messes us up. So he's saying what your real identity is, you, you actually can't even measure it. How do you receive what he's talking about? How do you measure love, power, fullness, 
Well, let me read the prayer to you. Again, this comes from Ephesians 3. You'll see the words on the screen. This is what he says. In him, in Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are actually for your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's the first thing in verse 19. The thing that he is asking for is about your heart. It's really important. What Paul is longing for is about our souls, our inner being, that we would experience God and that we would know his presence in our heart, in, in our soul. So if, if you were married and your whole relationship with your spouse was just intellectual, I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Like, I'm supposed to love my wife. Okay, love wife. What would that look like? Do this, do that, do this. Okay, got it. Rational. <laughs> I hear you. It's not going to work. No, no. It's actually something that you know and learn in your heart. And so what Paul is asking for is that not that our minds get out of the equation, but that our minds actually connect us to our heart. So he's praying. He's not praying about exterior things. He's not praying for intellectual knowledge. He's praying for their hearts. Ultimately, what heals us and transforms us is the presence of God. If you remember the story of Isaiah, Isaiah is praying one day, and while he's praying, God shows up, and he sees God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean that he saw God? Well, it wasn't like his eyes. It's like God was present, and when God is present, you know it. And so what did he do? He fell on his face, and he said, I'm so unclean. I'm unworthy. Where did he get that? There was no text in the Bible. Okay, God appears, fall on face. I'm down. Say these words. No. 
God was present. Well, when God is present, it's not always that dramatic. But the, the idea is really important that really what God, what Paul is praying for is that, that they will learn to live in the presence of God. We live in the age of enlightenment. We're right at the end of it. It's actually pretty dark in this age of enlightenment. But it's taught us to live our life mostly from our mind. If you can't prove it scientifically, it probably isn't true. It doesn't exist. Well, that doesn't work with God. Because God is not scientific. He's actually real. It doesn't mean that science is bad. or It's just not what connects you to the heart of God. So, this truth, I think, is really important for two reasons. One is that it's really only by our hearts that we can know what he's asking for. Paul asks... God to reveal it, to to reveal the love of the Father. And then he says this, that actually surpasses knowledge. Ah, How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? He's not saying, he's just saying that your mind can't connect you to it. It's not a rational, intellectual thing. The second reason that it's important is that really the message that Jesus came to preach, often we deform it and it becomes a message of behavior modification, but Jesus never preached that. He didn't come so you would act right, to fix up the way you act. He came to change your heart. And so the conversation he would often have, he was talking to the Pharisees one day, and he said to them, you know, you clean the outside of the cup, but your hearts are evil. Like, how does that work? And then he says this in Matthew 15. Don't you see that whatever goes into your mouth goes into your stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of your mouth, that come from your heart, those are the things that defile you. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defiles a person. But eating with unwashed hands? Yeah, that's not such a big deal. So the message Jesus came preaching, often when we're struggling with sin in our lives, we, we spend most of our time worrying about the behavior. We get addicted to stuff. We get angry about stuff. We get anxious about stuff. And our tendency is to attack that. But it's like pulling off the top of a weed. If you pull off the top of a weed, it looks really good for about a day or two. And then the the weed (laughs) comes back again. Trust me, I know these things. You got to pull the root out. And, And the same is true. That's why Paul is praying When we focus so much on behavior, let me just say this. You might disagree with me, but God is not really nearly concerned about your behavior as you might think he is. 
But he's way more concerned about your heart than you'll ever know. When we want him to fix our behavior, he didn't come to do that. He came to change our hearts. Does that mean our behavior? No. But, but if, if by discipline you figure out a way to, to act right, to get your behavior in line, you'll, you'll be a Pharisee at best. And at worst, you'll just be miserable and judgmental. Now Jesus, he said, I, I came to change the heart. And the way that it changes is you change what it's standing on. That's the second idea. The way to change our hearts is to look at the foundation of what we believe. Because what you believe about God and yourself is the foundation of your life. It's your identity. Jesus said this, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying that if you get this right in your head and you get the right doctrine and you can argue it, you'll be free. Actually, you might be miserable. What sets you free is when that truth, you take hold of it down here and it changes you. He's not saying get an intellectual grasp on this stuff. Ultimately, all of us live our lives out of our soul. Whether you think about it or you don't think about it, that's, that's the way it is. And what you believe about yourself is your identity. It's the foundation. It's what gives strength to the rest of the building. So, if you reread this letter this week, the first three chapters, that's, that's all that they're about. They're about your foundation, what you're standing on. He says that if you are in Christ, you have been chosen You've been adopted. You, 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 before the, the creation of the world, he was thinking about you. You've been forgiven. In chapter 3, he says, you're loved with an immeasurable love. That is who you are. And that's what he's praying for, that that truth would become the foundation of our lives. The problem is that most of us, what we actually believe about ourselves is not that. It's, it's other stuff. And it's a lot. When you build your self and your soul on a lie, I'm just going to tell you in advance, it never goes well. It, it always messes you up. The power of a lie is, is simply in our agreement with If you agree with a lie, whatever you agree with will have power over you. Let's just throw a lie out there. There's a lie that is pretty prevalent that if you could just get more stuff, you'd be happy. Why are you guys looking at me like that? You've never heard this before? (laughs) It's true. If you could just get a little more stuff, you would be happy. That's a lie. And and if you believe it, you give power to it. And so you go buy stuff way more than you need. And and you think if it's true for you, well, it must be true for your children. So you get them a whole bunch of stuff too. 
that's not bad. But, but when you believe what's not true, it's like a disease that gets inside your soul. Let me illustrate that. If you were abandoned as a child, it could look like a lot of things. Maybe one of your parents that just walked out. You remember the day like it was yesterday. Or something else happened and you just were left feeling abandoned. That takes deep root in your soul. So even if in your head you say, I am loved by God, in your soul, your soul isn't so sure. And so you get into relationships and you, it's really hard to get close to people because you, you, what if they abandon you? Well, that's, what Peter, that's what Paul's talking about here is, is that those things become the foundation that you stand on in your soul. And ultimately, it's a lie. That's not your identity. Rob Reamer's written a book called Soul Care and talks a lot about the importance of grasping our identity in Christ. And he talks about the lies that, that we latch on to. And there's probably lots of them. He underlines three foundational lies that lots of us are... We just pick them up. It, you don't go out to, to believe this stuff. It happens to you. One of the lies that he talks about is, is the performance lie, which says that the issue of your value is dependent on how well you perform. You ever heard that one before? It's the American way. We measure ourselves by our performance. Students, as athletes, as musicians, as fathers, as mothers, as pastors. Do I measure up? It's not a bad thing to, to be passionate and to want to do something well. But when, it, when it's built on the lie that, that my value is dependent on that, it destroys your soul. I was watching something last night and there was a commercial. It's almost like they knew I was going to be preaching about this because this commercial, it, it says exactly what I'm trying to say. The commercial is about this little boy and he's out in his backyard playing football and, and he's dreaming about the day and they're going, the day is coming. And then he's older now and he's running into this stadium and it's not just any stadium. If it's really important, the Goodyear blimp is there. And here's the, the line. You want to be blimp worthy. Think about that for a minute. Well, no, don't. <laughs> what, what is that saying? There's thousands of people that play football every year, but none of them are actually worthy. There's just a few that are worthy. Do you ever struggle with that? I do. You can struggle with that as a pastor. Like, I don't know, maybe the day will come and the blimp will show up out here. But 
whether it does or it doesn't, changes absolutely nothing about who we are. Because our value does not depend on our performance. It depends, it was all settled 2,000 years ago on a hill near Jerusalem when Jesus died for us. One time forever. That is who we are. I said to you at the beginning of this message that this is where I'm living. This is something that God's been doing in my soul, and I hope he's been doing it in your soul for years. It takes a long time to to root yourself in this stuff. Even as a pastor, how do I measure up? Am I, am I, when I, when I first started in ministry, I'd be driving home from church, and I just, I didn't have the courage to ask Ellen, how'd the message go today? Because if it didn't go well, I didn't want to know about it. Along the journey, God's taught me that, you know what? If I, if I come here on Sunday morning and I preach and, man, that was just a dud. My value is not based on that. That, that I mean, of course, I, I loved it. But to learn to stand on the foundation of the love of our Heavenly Father. That's one of the lies. Another lie is the people-pleasing lie which says that the issue of my value depends on whether certain important people in my life love me or like me. You feel pressure to please people. What, what, what if they don't love me? What if I, what would I do? Well, if you believe that lie, that you need people's approval to affirm your value, then when anybody gets upset with you, anxiety sets in. What does that mean? Good news. God's love for you is in no way tied to how anybody else in this room or anywhere feels about you. He already knows you, and he knows all that junk, and he still likes you. The third lie that Rob talks about is the lie of control. This lie says that the issue of your value depends on whether or not you are in control. Control is an illusion. You, you, you aren't in control. So why do we want to believe that? Well, it's usually rooted in something, not in our minds, in our souls. Uh, often people who have walked the terrible road of abuse, this is a struggle. Like, it's a struggle to even believe that I'm loved or could be liked and that's probably never going to happen so I'm just going to control it so that I don't get hurt again. But, but that's an illusion and ultimately we can't control anything. So, here's the, here's the notion. How do those things get there? Well, nobody like... I'd like that lie. I'll take that one. It's stuff that gets rooted in us on the journey. And 
And that's why he wants to heal it. And the healing happens in his presence. So he closes the prayer like this. This is really beautiful. He's, he's prayed and he's cried out to God for them. And then he says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Interesting, because usually when we use this verse, we use it to talk about physical stuff. Like, he can just do anything. He can provide money, he can heal, he can, and he can. All that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the fact that he can literally change somebody's heart. That he can make them live with a healed soul. So, how does that happen? Well, I'm going to tell you exactly what I told you last week which is great, because if you weren't here, you didn't miss anything, you're going to hear it again. How does God operate this in your soul? you got to be with him. Why is that so hard? I mean, let's be honest. There's nobody in this room this morning that says, I just spend way too much time with God. i, I got to cut down. All of us struggle to do this. Why? Because this is where... You get life. This is what Jesus did. Every morning when he woke up, he spent time with his father. Why? So that he would be rooted in what's true. That's where it happens. Why is that so hard for us? Well, number one is, your enemy knows that. So he'll do everything he can to keep you from doing that. And it's not really that hard. Because all of us are convinced that that doesn't actually accomplish anything. What accomplishes stuff is when you get out there and you do it. But you can't get out there and do this. You you have to be with him. Not so that you can mark it off your list. Got it. But so so that you can know him. It's hard for us too because... When you do this, the lies that are underneath there, they have a way of coming to the surface. And and let's be truthful, that can be really painful. So sometimes it's easier to just keep running. But God doesn't bring those things to the surface to cause you pain. He brings them to the surface so he can heal them. Because as long as they're not healed... They're actually what's holding you. And he wants to heal you. I hesitated to preach this message this morning. Not because uh, I don't believe it. Because what do you do? Okay, Pastor, great. How do I do this? Well, there's nothing that you can do in the next 10 minutes that will make this happen in your soul. But the most important thing is to turn towards it and walk towards it. To allow God to do this work, to to cry out to him. What he wants more than anything else is for you to want this. And if you ask him, I don't think he's going to say no. So, this is how we're going to close this morning.
we're going to sing a song together that's it's really a prayer. It's just a reminder that, that what Paul is praying for, it, it's from the heart of a father who longs for this in every one of us. So I want to invite you to respond this morning in this way. You can respond right where you're sitting and just talk to him about this, express to him. If it would be helpful for you to come and just stand here or sit here while we're singing and, and pray and just by that saying to God, I, I, want, I want to know this in my soul in a deeper way. I invite you to do whatever helps you to respond this morning. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing this song. I think you all know it. It's just a response and a reminder that Jesus said, if we, who are earthly fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more our Heavenly Father? If you ask Him for a loaf of bread, He's not going to give you a stone. If you ask Him for His Spirit, who does this work in your soul, He is going to respond to your cries. Let me pray for us, and then we'll close with this song. Father, thanks for this reminder this morning. It's for all of us. All of us, just from walking on the journey, our souls get battered. We we grab onto stuff that, that ultimately doesn't help us. And... You want us to walk in the freedom of, of knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt with a knowledge that surpasses knowledge that, that we're yours, that there's nothing in all of creation that can change that. So this morning we just want to respond to you, thank you, uh, praise you, and invite you to do that work in deeper ways in our soul. For your glory, for the glory of the one who is eternal, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.